the OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, August 13th, and it's bringing to the table a whopping $6.7 million in guarantees over four weeks. It all starts with Moss beginning August 13th, with prize pools hitting the $250,000 guaranteed mark. Then, on August 23rd, our full-sized online Super Series drops, with guarantees as high as $1 million. Then stack your chips in the bigger online Super Series beginning September 6th. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. It's waiting for you at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 145 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join Facebook group, Facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, we are recording this one on a Friday for a change. Uh, You had to change it. So, how's your week been? How's Friday? Uh, Before we came on air, Alex says he's packing for his move, so take it from there. Yeah, uh... <coughs> yeah, that they always teach you that in podcasting school. Start with yeah, uh, and a cough. Yeah. Uh, before you say anything, I've been packing, uh, trying to get ready for the move, uh, going to New Jersey next week, where every man wants to start his life at thirty, and I'm also trying to learn how to drive. Well, I, I, I know how to drive. I need to know all the rules so I can get a license. Uh, I'm pretty sure I could pass the test now, uh, but our, on a good day, I could. Obviously, if I do 35 in a school zone on accident, probably not. Uh, but uh, I, I paid for lessons uh, from this woman who's supposed to be the best uh, driving instructor in Arizona, and she is amazing, I have to say. She is hilarious and just incredible at her job but she throws you to the wolves like I hadn't driven in years because in Costa Rica it's just so impractical and there's a bus every 10-15 minutes and I just would go on that and then before that when I was in Malta or Seoul it just wasn't that practical either and I, I, I'd driven near my house in Costa Rica at the time, and it gone to run errands and stuff like that, but this was, she, we, you know, I, I check, uh, <clears throat> I'm like checking with her, okay, on the driver's test, I have to do, okay, check your mirrors, check this, okay, check that that's good, get the, get this, and then she's like, yeah, you know, uh, let's go on the highway, you know, noonday traffic, I think you got this, I'm like, uh, uh, okay, like, it's been years since I drove, yeah, you're good. So we did that for the first lesson. Uh, second lesson, I drove Route 66 up along cliff faces. I kid you not. And there was, but I told her I'm going to be driving on the East Coast quite a bit because my plan is to have a little bit of a hub in New Jersey and then I, I, to drive to some of the, I, I, go, I like the, as I've said before on the show, I like the action on the East Coast a little bit more right now. Uh, just to drive to some of these hubs 
uh, for poker, Foxwoods, Montreal, uh, Pittsburgh to a lesser extent, Philadelphia. And also just for the sake of travel, I like going to small town USA. It, it seems like a foreign country to me now because I've been out of the United States for so long. Uh, but, yeah, it, she was saying, okay, if you're going to drive on the East Coast, you got, have to get used to winding roads, so why not drive along a cliff face? And it's like, okay, I guess that works. So I've had my time tied up over the last week because there's stuff like uh, I'm going through my closet and deciding what's going to go, what's not, what's going into storage. I've acquired more stuff in six months here than you could have believed. Just stuff seems to find me. There, there was a house when I was living in Costa Rica. There was a room in my house, not a house. There was a room in my house where I just put all this stuff that I just accumulated. You don't realize how wealthy some people are. Uh, the Some of these organizations I've worked for and some of these people I've taught poker to until they go like, hey, you want this video camera here? Just take it and just stuff like that. And then we ju I just had a room in my house full of stuff I couldn't use. And eventually I just got to, you know, when people would come by and be like, do you want this? Please take it because I'm not using it and it feels like a waste. I had a table here in Bullhead City, just full of all the stuff my students were nice enough to send me. So there's books on diet and nutrition, and there's a, there's a coffee table book with, it's really cool, it has all the pictures from like old 70s Vegas uh, poker rooms. Uh, there, there's a bunch of my students are authors, so I have their books and stuff like that. And uh, like CDs that people sent me from the battle rap world. And uh, yeah, i so I've been trying to decide, you know, what, you know, what's going to my family members, uh, like nieces, nephews, or cousins, or sister. Uh, what's what's going to stay in this house in case uh, anybody comes through? Uh, in all that, and it, it's been, and also I have to try to make a last ditch effort to get something out of this one hard drive, and. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's been taking a lot of time. Uh, there's just also lots of goofy things that come up when you're trying to do that, which is why I'm trying... Well, it, one thing I had come up is I had all my lesson files processed. I saved them from this hard drive that this computer essentially just exploded on me. And it. I somehow got... I found out like... It, it was the fan or something. I don't know what it was. It won't turn on. And uh, the thing was kind of clunking away at the time anyway. But I got into the hard drive, and I got everyone's lesson videos, and I processed all of them. And then Mega.coenz, which is the site I used to use for web hosting, they, uh, uh, <laughs> like they, they shut down my account, and I said, why? And they said, we can't charge your card. I checked with my card. They say we don't work with that site because they, uh, they, they work with copyright infringement. I said, okay, so does everybody who has Google Drive, but moving on. Uh, 
And then, okay, you need to get Bitcoin to pay for your hard drive to get your files back. And then it's like, well, I've never used Bitcoin. Well, to use Bitcoin, you need to download this and download all the blockchains. That sounds like a lot of time. Well, go ahead and do it. But uh, I'm excited, man. I don't... I've had this thought recently. Uh, they do this... Uh, well, this concept was introduced to me in the five-second rule by Mel Robbins, which... Uh, we've talked about previously on this show, and it, the book is a bit of a puff piece, but it's pretty damn good. Uh, and one of the things she talked about was, if you actually, if you have anxiety problems, the worst thing you can do when you're anxious is tell yourself to calm down, because your body won't accept that. It'll be like, well, you're anxious, and then you're telling your body you shouldn't be anxious, which makes your body more anxious. Mm-hmm. What they do is they call a, uh, they, I, I think psychologists call it anxiety, anxiety reappraisal. And what you do is you say, I'm not anxious, I'm excited. Now, that makes more sense to your body because when you're excited, it's more or less uh, the same phys- physiological uh, response as uh, anxiety and excitement are very similar. And so what I've been doing is I'm just trying to myself, tell myself there's so much going on now that's so good. And I do know very intelligent people that just, they get railroaded in their career or the job market isn't terrific and they try to move into another industry and it's, you know, it's going to work out for them, but it's definitely, they have to start again. And when I see all that, I, I try to remember, you these are good problems to have. In life, you have good problems and you have bad problems. I, uh, I, I was talking with someone the other night, and they, they said to me, it just feels like one problem after another, and I don't, know how to, I don't know how to deal with it. And it made me think of when I was on the tour when I was 21, like the problems I faced, you could not even imagine. Just uh, it's stuff like you're in Paris and you're between, you're, try, you're trying to get your clothes clean before you catch this train. And oh, by the way, you don't speak the language and you have to pick up euros from this guy. And it just, you know, it all sounded kind of glamorous when I first heard it. And then, you know, one day, like, being on the tour, like, I'm walking by the train tracks in, uh, like, this really bad part of Los Angeles to go pick up money uh, from this Pakistani gentleman. I remember sitting there going, what happened to my life? Like, what am I doing, right? Like, what what is going on? Now I look back, those were all good problems to have because <laughs> the overlying theme was you are a touring professional at 21. You are a touring you you have stories for days, right? Because it, now the re, the way you got all those stories is you had problem after problem after problem, uh, and but there's good problems and bad problems in life. So I'm pretty anxious, but I'm trying to let myself remember. Hey, there's good problems in life. There's bad problems. Trying to sift through all the things that people are nice enough to gift you. Probably a good problem. Uh, trying to trying to get ready to move uh, uh, to another part of the country for a new adventure uh, with your beautiful, supportive girlfriend. Good problem. So, yeah, life life is good, man. Life's a, just uh, yeah, trying to get a driver's license and keep it going. 
Okay, so, okay, so uh, I'm getting uh, a bit of I'm feedback gonna, here, Alec. I, I can see myself. I can hear myself, rather. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it really threw me. It threw me that much I called you Alec there. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Scott, now, can yeah, you hear me? No, I, I, yeah, I could hear you. It was I could hear me. I was coming through your speakers. I must have been. Uh, yeah, I have. I had you on speakerphone. I do that in 90% of the time. You can't hear any feedback, but once in a while, it Of course we save it for the oneouter.com podcast. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate you, buddy. I just want to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> as I was going to say, um, as the world sort of descends on Vegas, you're looking to leave. Uh, let's talk about the McGregor uh, fight, the Mayweather fight, because I know you let your box in, and everyone's talking about that. So let's spend five minutes. We don't want to go right into this and rant on for people that don't care or aren't interested. But what's your thoughts on it in terms of, like, from even a betting point of view? If you were going to have a bet, let's go, since we're a gambling okay. show. I would bet on the fact you should watch Alvarez versus Triple G uh, instead. Like, this fight is, it's just pure, you can always tell when a fight is garbage because all they do in the previews is tell you why a certain boxer might have a shot. If your best argument is, hey, you never know, he could have a shot, you're, you're, you're effed. Like, that's that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not happening. And uh, there's a... Uh, I think if you're going to bet, I, I almost think it's free money with Mayweather. Uh, I haven't seen a boxer with that kind of defensive style. And most of the time I've watched... I, I can't really think of another boxer that's that good defensively. I know his form of boxing is about the worst boxing on earth to watch, but it, it it's he is that good. And then, yeah, does Conor McGregor have a puncher's chance? Yeah, uh, for sure. Like I, I'm a, I've seen fights between. I, I've seen people get dropped. You never would have thought got dropped because one guy got lucky shot. Uh, got a lucky shot. And if there's anyone, you know, to be fair to the people selling the fight, if there's anyone who's going to deliver that lucky shot, it's McGregor. Uh, and it, it just because he's lanky and he's a, he can run up on people, he's a, he can move. But at the same time, like whatever, I saw the odds, uh, whatever the odds were on Mayweather, I think a lot of people are just betting on McGregor Anytime there's somebody who's like a sentimental favorite, uh, you bet against him, essentially. So, like, you should always take the New England Patriots in NFL football because everybody hates the Patriots. So what ends up happening is it shifts the line because everybody bets against them in the house uh, just uh, just to cover their ass. They have to shift the line. So now in this case, uh, McGregor kind of messed up the line in that I, I think he went into something racial or something. Uh, like Mayweather's actually looking like the good guy this time or something. I, I, I haven't been paying attention. Like I'm going to buy the fight tomorrow and I'm going to light $100 on fire. But, but by the way, if there are no prelims or anything, I'm going to be so pissed. Like if this is not a really long card... I'm going to be so angry. No, there but, is an undercard, definitely. Oh, good, good, good. Well, I remember there was one time 
uh, I can't remember what. Well, I got all excited for Pacquiao's return recently, and then they just showed that fight. They showed none of the prelims, and I was like, yeah, the undercard. And I was like, what the prelims? I've been watching too much UFC. Anyway, but uh, um, it's pretty much free money to bet on Mayweather. Is there a shot? Yeah. Uh, not that much of a shot. But, uh, McGregor always does have that shot. You also notice in all the hype, all the people telling – uh, telling you in the cut scenes before they go to the discussion that McGregor has a shot, all UFC people. There's nobody from boxing that's saying he's got a shot, right? They called Sugar Ray Leonard and said, hey, you want 50 bucks? Yeah, okay, C- come and say McGregor has a shot. Like, that's the one I saw. Like, there's always, there's always a chance, but you've got to remember... Uh, Mayweather has, you, when you're talking about knockout power, you're, talk, you're, you're talking about a guy that has never boxed before. They're different gloves. It's a different fight, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So Mayweather has faced people with more knockout power than him, uh, prob- uh, than McGregor before. Uh, he essentially, this, it's a prize fight. It's a spectacle, we're going to go there. We're going to watch Mayweather run around. At some point, McGregor is going to fly at him. There's no chance McGregor. McGregor cares about the money more than we know. He's not that crazy. He's not going to, like, pummel the guy when he's on the ground. If he does, I mean, hell, that'll be worth 100 bucks or whatever uh, the pay-per-view is. You guys don't even have to pay 100 there, do you? It's just on uh, whatever. Tw- 20 pounds. You're still to buy it. It's on Sky Box Office in the UK, so... It costs yeah. like 20 quid. Yeah. I remember when I got the Pacquiao Mayweather fight for free in Costa Rica. I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. I, I was thinking this is the greatest day of my life. I wasn't saying that. Ah, <laughs> I, I want to quit saying I was like, because that just sounds way too much West Coast Valley Girl. Yeah, uh, eh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to tune in. Uh, I, I'm really... Uh, I, I really want to see Golovkin and uh, Kana- yeah, the red-haired Mexican kid. Uh, that that fight's gonna be good. Although uh, Triple G is gonna take that, but we'll uh, you know we'll see. Uh, things things uh, things happen. Oh, did you see uh, John Jones got tested positive for steroids again? No, no. <laughs> Do you know who that is? No, no. Okay, he was. And I'm not even going to get into it, but yeah, uh, greatest redemption story ever just ruined again. But yeah, any, anywho, I guess we should get into the, let's get into the questions, right? Yeah, let's, yeah. let's get into the let's questions, the main event. I can yeah. hear myself, I could hear myself back there again, Alex. I don't yeah, know, I don't yeah, know yeah. Else, so. I bet you do, buddy. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, this one is from Neil. I have a question about rake. I've noticed live casinos increasing rake recently and also the whole outcry over poker stars increasing rake. At what level tournaments and what level at cash games should we be really considering other games because of the rake costs? Thanks. I think thank you for your question. Well, I've paid pretty obscene rake before in cash games where the players were just that bad. Essentially, in cash games, you want to make sure it's not uncapped. 
Because if it's uncapped, essentially, I, I was in Hungary and I was in Uruguay when they had 5% uncapped. And just out of curiosity, I just ran a bunch of pots through my head. And I, f I figured out you had about third, a third of the chips leaving the table within a few hours, uh, which obviously is a pretty hard edge to beat. Uh, you want to make sure it's not... Uh, you, you want to make sure it's not uncapped. Uh, the rake plays a pretty big role in games when there's a number of regs. Uh, so if you're in uh, if you're in the states and you're like in San Jose uh, and they're increasing the rake, that that definitely uh, California that that's definitely going to play a role because there there's a few more regs in those games. If you're in a game where seven eight guys are just tossing away their chips it doesn't obviously you want to make sure it's not something absurd but uh generally uh you'll be all right and the it really matters in limit hold'em because you have to win a lot of small pots and limit hold'em so if they don't have a they they don't have a minimum on the pot or whatever that's not really good uh it as far as tournaments really your rake you got to think of your ROI in a tournament. Uh, if your ROI is forty percent and there's a ten percent rake, that's uh, that's eating into a significant portion of your profits. However, if your if your ROI is a hundred percent because it's a bunch of clowns uh, down at your local card room, uh, if if the rake is fifteen percent, that's still highway robbery. But go ahead and pay it. Uh, it's when when it's uh, it's when your ROI is something you're not even really sure of how good it is. That's oftentimes when it'll be between like ten to thirty percent, and then the rake is ten something percent. You just can't make it work. And uh, a good rule of thumb is never play on poker stars ever. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. I just I hate poker stars with passion. Barry, did I or did I not tell everybody? Stars was garbage four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Did anyone listen? No. 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 And now what do we all agree on? Meh. <laughs> Funny how that works. Funny how that works. You know, and I, I've been saying from the beginning, these people just care about money. They just care about money. That's all they ever cared about. If you ever had to hear them talk about, ugh, like, now then that's, I mean, I just, I got a few emails from them that were very curt and I felt were really unfair about a few things when I was trying to get my, uh, like, it, I just, ugh, I don't know. It's a, the thing that bugs me is they do have, like, Zoom poker, which I really like. And I do know people who work for Poker Stars who are salt-of-the-earth great people. I just, oh, God, they did some things that pissed me off. I'm not going to, it. And by the way, this could have just been like a couple people in their organization, so I don't want to light the whole thing on flames. But yeah, anywho. Anyway, uh, moving forward. Uh, like, okay, generally the rake you're going to find online is okay, as long as you know you have an edge in the game. Uh, I think the sites take a little more than they should, but to be fair, we're not really doing anything to make them, to discourage them from that because everybody just plays on stars forever because 
you know, oh, the software is good. Like, and yeah, because most people are playing this like a video game, right? So if the video game is fun, they just keep playing. And to be fair, they know what they can charge for it. So they charge, right? Other sites have to compete with uh, different software. And they, they, <laughs> bleh, they, <laughs> sorry, uh, I just, something came by my window and my ADD is tremendous. <laughs> and uh, other sites have to, have to compete with lesser rank. But time and time again, the consumer has shown in gaming that they do not care about the rank when it comes to card play. They just don't. In a lot of cases, I've seen sites get traction that have, should have never gotten traction. And there's other sites, uh, well, you know, obviously I'm a little biased, but I do love America's Card Rooms, like how soft a lot of, like uh, like this tournament series, like the rake is fair, and then this, the play is just hilariously bad <laughs> in some of these tournaments. And, you know, obviously there's some... There's some guys that used to play online, and they're, they're good players. And there's a, you know, there's a contingency of American rags that are pretty good. And if you play some of the regular tournaments, you'll run into a few more of them. But these big open events, like the software is good, the site, I, it, but like stars, stars can also charge the rake they want because if you're playing like one of those re-entry Sunday Millions, there's not 7,000 good players on earth, so chances are you're going to run into a few uh, pretty pretty poor players, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, But sit and goes seem to be where rake is really the most important because you're, you're working with such small edges anyway. You want to make sure like the rake isn't cutting into you. So... It, there's a lot of times, especially like with sit and goes, if it goes past 10%, it's just not worth it. And with heads up, I've never been good with heads up sit and goes, but I think it's even less than that. Uh, I hope, uh, I, it, it's about how soft the game is. I, 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 I know it's a bit of a generalized answer, but I hope this has helped you a bit. I'd also like to add something Alex said before when he talked about, actually I don't even know if it was specifically on Rick, but you've always, this always sticks in my head what you've said. It's one thing, Alex, of throughout the years that sticks in my head uh, from you. I'm joking. Uh, it's, uh, when you're playing live tournaments, remember your expenses and stuff, and it's kind of like, you know, you see that as rake. Like, the way you put it to me was, I remember you saying, if you saw online, if you saw a 500 plus 750, would you play it? You know, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, and people, I think people don't do that with the live tournaments. You know, if they can find stuff local, then great, but... As soon as you start traveling and need somewhere to stay and then food on the road and stuff, you've got to really be honest with yourself. Unless, as you say, it's a really, really soft tournament with tons of dead money in it, then it's, that's high rake, isn't it? The people don't, it's not advertised on the flyer from the casino, but that's real. Like you're paying out your pocket for all that, your expenses. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'll be... I... Uh... I was thinking recently, I put a lot of decision in my, uh, I, I put a lot of decision, I put a lot of thought into my decision to become a full-time coach, and one thing was I want to be, when the history books are written about poker, I want it to be said I was the first full-time coach, uh, number two, because I'm a narcissist like that. Uh, number two, 
I, I think to become like the greatest poker player, just recognizes the greatest poker player, are to get the most money, you have to travel for it. And I just don't know how workable it is because of exactly what we're talking about. Like, let's say there's a tournament in Pittsburgh, 1500, super soft. That's a really, that's a really great place to play poker. I love Pittsburgh, kind a little bit more Midwest, nice people. Really, I love that city. Right now, let's say I want to get there from New Jersey, so I'm going to drive. If I'm renting a car, let's say forty dollars a day times seven days, so that's what two hundred and eighty dollars. That's if I get a deal. Gas. Now we're up to like let's say three. It's four hundred, but let's say three fifty. My meals on the road. If I cook for myself, I can get it down to a hundred. Right? I'm really good about eating cheap. I know how to eat really cheap. Right? Uh, four fifty. So now we're at four fifty. Right? Now I got to pay for my Airbnb in Pittsburgh. Uh, let's say I somehow get a really cheap place. It's a uh, 250, that's 700. So now it's a 1500 plus 700 plus the rate there, which is 150, which is 1500 plus 850, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it just, it doesn't make sense. So if I'm going to, I have friends in Pittsburgh and I can stay at their place and I want to travel and my girlfriend and I want to see another city and yeah, it'd be fun to go check it out. And oh, by the way, I can write off some of this because it's a poker tournament. Then it makes more sense. But a lot of times, if you're not, if you want to make money on the road, you got to go to a tournament stop and you got to stick there for a month, which I do, I do not recommend hanging out in Commerce, California for a month. I, I just, to pay the LA Poker Classic. I just, I don't enjoy it. And if I do do those things, like I went to Prague in December to play all their tournaments, right? And uh, that, that was nice because, you know, hey, it's uh, Prague. But, uh, like, all the expenses and everything, even though I played, I played three main events for, like, the Eureka Poker Tour main event and, uh, or whatever the hell it is, and the... Uh, WPT main event there, EPT main event, even with, I was doing all the math, I was just pretending it, it was a family vacation, I wanted to take my mom and sister there, I was just pretending, okay, if I wanted to come here, could I make this work with three main events, and I was going through everything, and I was like, I don't think I could have made it really work, like, I could, I would have made money, but like, would it, it would have been a couple thousand, is that worth a month of my time, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and that's, like, uh, and that's that's fine if you just want to be in Prague for a month. If you really really love the tour, and there are people, they're road warriors. They love the tour. There are guys who just they love. And this was me when I was very young. Just love being in a new country. Uh, just love meeting new people. You know, obviously women plays a role when you're really young. You you go to different countries and you want to meet the women yeah, there. It's back when hotels are like a novelty. You know, staying in a hotel was like, yeah, you enjoyed stuff like that. Whereas now it's home comforts, I think, as you get older. It's, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Right. Uh, if, yeah, it, well, you know, I had, uh, uh, my girlfriend and I did a little staycation in New York, and 
she was saying like, oh, haven't you ever like, oh my God, it's like, it, it was, it was funny because she, she was saying like, oh, cool. Check out this and check out that in this hotel. Right. And like, she, you know, she's not, she's been in hotel rooms before, but yeah, it was kind of like a novelty to her. Right. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, I was thinking this is might be the 300th hotel room I've been in, in my life. <laughs> this is just, the hotels yeah when they're it's nice when they're a novelty i will say this with airbnb it's much more fun now because staying in someone's apartment and having it to myself in prague was way more fun than just being being able to cook my mom and sister breakfast every morning uh was really nice and uh it it was it, it was just so much worse on the tour when it was just hotel room, hotel room, everybody's stiffing you. And then, yeah, it's generally better to play online. If you can find, I, I'm always big. Everybody says, oh, you should play a ton of tables. That's how you're going to make money. I, I think the way you're going to make money is really, really concentrating playing on some very soft tournaments, right? Maybe four, six, if you're really good, eight tables. Uh, so, anyways, hope that helped. Next question. Okay, this one is from Jesper. Um, check raising, checking raising the, sorry, check raising the river. This is a play that I try myself, usually with the nuts. Can you talk about some examples in cash games and tournaments where this is a useful play? Also, not always doing it with the nuts. Uh, thank you for your question. I rarely check raise the river with the nuts because I, I just think it's one of those plays that looks really cool but doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily it, it looks really cool but it, I don't know if it's that applicable to today's day in game because what ends up happening is many of the guys that are left. I'm not really sure why this is, to be perfectly honest, but they really like to show down hands. And many guys, if you want to survive in poker, and I I emphasize the word survive. I'm not saying make money in poker. The way you survive is you get really into showdowns, like getting your hand to showdown, pot controlling. That'll that'll keep you afloat. And many of the guys left in poker, if, if you could just skin the guy alive, he probably went broke years ago. The guys who are left are the guys that know a couple tools of the trade. And what they like to do is check back. So nine times out of ten, I go to check raise the river. The guy checks back. Mm -hmm. So even when it's a completely disguised straight, no flush draw came in, nothing, the guy checks back. And a lot of times they they check back on an overpair, and I just, you know, blood shoots out my nose. And I'm, I'm not... I'm really into donk leading more these days with a lot of my range, with bluffs, uh, with big hands. Uh, I donk lead even up to like 1.5x the pot. I found that to be really interesting uh, with with my plays. Uh, as far as other times to check race, there's a lot of times I'm checking, trying to get my hand to show down, but if the guy bets... I just don't really think he can have a big hand, so I check jam. Uh, so one big one is 
I probably shouldn't be saying this one, but there's there are guys that just never check back a flush draw on the turn. Like, it just does not happen. You can confirm this with no caddy. You can f- confirm it empirically. Uh, they bet the flop with the flush draw. And then let's say, okay, so let's say the board comes nine of diamonds, six of diamonds, four of hearts, and I have four or five of spades. Uh, I check the guy bets. I call. Uh, the turn is... Uh, the, the turn is, let's see, I'm trying to come up with a good one. Uh, let's say the turn is just jack of spades, right? It doesn't bring in anything. I check, he checks behind. Uh, River brings in uh, the eight of, diamond, eight of diamond, the flush draw comes in. I check, he bets. Well, I know he doesn't have the flush draw, so what does he have? I mean, he doesn't have the flush. He has a nine, he's trying to get value out of. Or he's got uh, the jack maybe he checked behind with. Uh, and it's a really common play to check raise the flush there. So a lot of times I'll check jam there. Uh, and also a lot of times the guy, he gave up with his ace high on the turn. He feels like, uh, or not his ace high, but his just garbage pair, like sevens or sixes. And then he feels like, okay, I got to turn this hand into a bluff. And then I got, I have to return my hand into a bluff (laughs) to, to get rid of, to get rid of the guy. But does that come up that often? I mean, it does. It, uh, it, like, I probably do it I, if, if I'm playing all week. It probably, I turn a lot of hands into bluffs when the guy just, I know for a fact he would. Uh, it, the other time is when the guy's, like, got 30, 40 big blinds, and there's a flush draw on the board. I see that, and the guy calls, and I know he would have raised with the flush draw. The turn comes with the flush, and uh, I, I have, like, the ace of that suit. It, there's sometimes, like, with the stack sizes, like, 30x, if I bet any jams, I have to call. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so what I'll do is I'll check. I'll let him bet his flush, quotation marks, and then I just check jam, uh, which I'm blocking it. Uh, most of the time, and it looks exactly like a flush. And if I get caught, I, I do have a draw. Yeah, you got it. So it's, uh, it, it doesn't... And, you know, generally, but, but even, even on that, like that, that play used to work way more because people would just, you would, uh, uh, hold on a second. My computer made a weird, uh, it was changing the screen. I thought windows was restarting everything and I was, Oh no, that's not good. No, but, uh, like that play I used to do all day cash games, uh, check raising the turn, and I just, I can't make it work a lot of the times in tournaments because people just check all the time, and this is why I, when people tell me poker is so tough now, I'm like, shut up, like, in the old days I had to, I had to think so much harder about so many of these spots, now, when I have it, I bet, and people are just not going to raise me, uh, if unless they have it nine times out of ten. And because everybody just wants to get to showdown because, oh, it's so sexy to get to showdown. And a lot of times I bet flop and I bet turn. And in the old days, it was really bad checking there because the other guy would go, okay, so he's got one pair, he's got a missed draw. I have to figure out what to do now. Mm-hmm. Now I check there and they're just like, check right back. And I, I'm sitting there just confused. 
The only place they don't do that is stars. Stars, you're going to deal with every reg from Eastern Europe. On America's Card Room, the guy just checks back nine times out of ten. I'm sitting there confused why I was able to get two streets of value out of second pair, but I'm not arguing. That's fine. So, yeah, I, I hope that's given you some, uh, some ideas. Okay, and last question for today is from Alan. Hello, my question is about optimizing our time when playing. I've moved over to cash from tournaments as I just don't have the time to sit and grind anymore. I much prefer playing in short bursts of a few hours and can stop when I want. What should I look at when thinking about making the most of my hours when playing? I would sacrifice some win rate for more freedom. Thank you. Well, I just had that. Uh, thank you for your question. His name was Alec? Uh, Alan. Alan, okay. A-L-A-N. Uh, Whenever anybody mishears my name, it's always Alan. Mm. So I, I get a lot of, Alan, come over here. That's not my name. But, yeah, anywho, uh, generally, it, it, I'm really glad you're asking this question because this is something I've been talking about with people for years, which is that book, uh, Outliers, came out by Malcolm Gladwell. And it was just talking about anyone who puts 10,000 hours into something will become a master. Or it takes 10,000 hours of anything to become, you know, to master it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know, there's, there were a lot of people who had driven for 20,000 hours in San Jose, Costa Rica, and they still did not know how to operate a blinker. So that did not make any sense to me, right? And I, I, I was thinking... As I got into it, what, what was it? And then I found the books, uh, and they did, to be fair to Malcolm Gladwell, I, he's really overrated, even though he's a really good writer, but uh, it, it, he, he did get into this a little bit. But the people who really got into it, which uh, uh, the book Bounce, uh, which was sent to me by a listener of the show, I, I, think, uh, I think it was Dom, I think was his name. Uh, bounce, and then once I read that, that was just, oh, this is my stuff, right? And that, that's, by the way, one of the best gifts I've ever gotten from one of our listeners. And uh, Bounce was really good. Uh, I think it was called The Talent Code was another really good one. And the one that's the most, like, academic uh, would be Mindset by Carol Dweck. And there's a new one out called Grit by Angela Duckworth that uh, she had a really good TED Talk on the subject. And I, I, I started reading that one. I'm about halfway through. It's, it's very good. I, I'd recommend it so far. And essentially what they say is something I, I should have known before reading these books, which is it's not the hours you put in, it's what you put in the hours. They used to... They had, you guys have all heard that phrase before. They, they hung that poster up in my high school wrestling class, and I never, ever forgot it because it made a lot more sense. And I think they had a visual of two guys just looking like they were about to die on the mat, right? And that was, it, that was a really good lesson in life because there, were, there was a guy, I'll never forget this guy, Trent Warren. Doesn't Trent Warren sound like a jock? Yeah. Doesn't that, isn't that a jock's name right there? Yeah. A anyway, this guy was an animal. 
And I was, because we played football together, I was one of the few guys who knew how to just wrangle him. Uh, I think he, I had 20 pounds on him, but he just killed me every day on the mat. And then I would get to my actual wrestling matches, and I won some and I lost some, but the big thing was they weren't that hard because Trent was trying to kill me in practice, and these guys weren't trying to kill me. In fact, I got a bit of a reputation for being a little nasty with in matches because I was so used to Trent trying to kill me. And, uh, and by the way, Trent was the nicest guy on planet Earth and would never hurt a fly in real life, as all real fighters are. And, uh, but he, uh, but when it comes to poker, it really becomes, what are you going to put into it? I did have a little video that I made about this, which I throw in with packages. And, uh, I, I called it master poker in 20 minutes a day, just putting it in that series. But what I did is I just showed a heads up session as I would play it, uh, going into this. We'll go into this uh, with sports analogies, okay? Uh, Academically, I tried to figure out what would be the best practice. We've talked about this on the show. What does every superb player play? They all play heads up. Every single one of them plays heads up. Why is that? They touch the ball more times. Every single Brazilian soccer star grew up playing the exact same game, which was futsal. Uh, which translated to football in the salon, which is football in the room. Mm. And it's just, it's a heavier ball. You can't kick it away. You have to get better at ball management. It's fewer players. It's a smaller field. And you just have to get good really quickly. The way you do that, there's two games. I am convinced there was a time my MTT career was stalling out. I am convinced the only reason I have lasted so long is I shifted to six max cash and I played millions of six max cash hands because all your earnings are going to come from hijack cutoff button. Early position does not produce a ton. All your losses are going to be big blind, small blind. And all six max does is just repeat that constantly over and over and over again until you get it. And I played a ton of six max. I tried to get in heads up, to be perfectly honest with you guys. I never had that, uh, what do they call it in French, je ne sais quoi or whatever. I just didn't have it, right? Like I wasn't amazing at heads up. I never really felt like, oh, I'm really getting a hold of this. Whereas with six max, I have a ton of final tables in six max. I have live final tables in six max. I have... My deepest run ever in a WSOP event was a six max event. Uh, I have scoop final tables with six max. I think scoop and W group six max. F tops final tables in six max. That that is my game, and what it, it just it's just repetition. And then it's more thinking about the problems. If you're ever on autopilot, I want you to remember this: you're learning nothing. Okay, nothing. Doyle Brunson. Has I have played 10 times as many hands as Doyle Brunson has. He's 10 times the player that I am because I doubt he ever autopiloted in his life. I, think, I don't think you can autopilot when you play 40 hands an hour. 
It's not like they were wearing... Could you imagine Doyle wearing headphones and sunglasses back in the day? <laughs> like, I, it's kind of a funny visual, but it illustrates, like, back in the day, he had to talk with the people, listen to them, monitor the game. And more than that, he had to watch his ass as it, when he was in a Texas gambling situation. So there was no taking a hand off for Doyle. And for that reason, I still wouldn't want... I wouldn't want to play heads up versus Doyle Brunson. I'm pretty sure he could stomp me. And... uh it's because he never autopiloted. Now, you can do more than just not autopilot. One, you can... I'm really big on game film. I have recorded and reviewed 200, 300 of my sessions from start to finish. And if you think that sounds gruesome, it's because it is. What you do is you just... Re- and it's funny because uh, high school American football is a really big game in the United States. In high school, these 16-year-old kids, at 5 o'clock, they're watching game film. The coaches don't make anything. They're watching game film. Why do they do it? Well, some of them want a shot at like a college assistant coaching gig, and then they can hopefully parlay that up. But most of the time, they do it for the love of it. They do it for, they might get a little money out of it, but they do it for the love of it. And then people come into poker and they tell me, I love to play poker. And I go, I don't believe that. I really don't. Because how much, uh, how, how much game film have you watched of NBA basketball? And you don't even play NBA basketball, but you're watching the games every night. And uh, that, when it comes to poker, like, I don't think you can watch it on TV because TV doesn't – like I, I don't watch ESPN highlights and go, hey, hey I got a really good feel for uh, rugby now. I, do, I, I still don't know anything about the game because I'm just watching the really sick play. And when it comes to poker, you take the game film, you, you put on a microphone or you have a microphone in your computer, you record, you don't talk like you're a Twitch broadcaster, you just make little notes, right? I am, and I, I talk about this in the Master to Flop, like the sentences you should always fill out. There's about nine sentences you should fill out. One, one of my favorites is, Whenever you're betting, I am betting X amount into Y amount uh, as a bluff value bet, whichever one it is, because I think these hands call or fold. If you say that out loud, you will be amazed how many times you're autopiloting and just butchering the hand. There will be times you're betting and you go, that, that, that doesn't make sense. That's not going to get those hands to fold. Or wait a minute, I'm betting for value, but that hand calls a lot more. Oh, hold on, let me accelerate. Now you're getting somewhere. There you go. Now you're feeling it, right? Now you start with the basics. You don't want to overload somebody. This is the big problem with coaching videos. We, uh, all of us are guilty of this, right? We, uh, we show a hand history review, and I love hand history reviews. They're good, they're good education, but a lot of times I, I make it a point, like before I do a hand history review, with any of my students, I write down four concepts I think are really going to help them, and I try to find it in the hand history, and then I hammer on it, which is why I don't really get through that many hands in any of my sessions because I don't, it's not really going to do me that much good to watch 200 hands and say, yeah, rejam here, shove here. Like you're, that's giving, that, then you're just going to try to mimic me, and you're not going to do it that well. If you understand the process behind it, you're going to do much better, and you're going to be able to adjust when the game shifts with you. 
So I say take game film. Record. There's a. By the way, guys, everything is cheap now. There is no excuse. In the old days, I had to work a job at Arby's for six months to buy my first computer. All right, my laptop right now. This was my emergency laptop. It's $200. It does everything my $2,000 computer did four years ago. It runs Camtasia. It uses Holda Manager and NoCaddy. It plays cards perfectly across several sites. It, it runs Scrivener. It runs a ton of other programs at the same time. You have no excuse anymore. All of the stuff is out there, and it's cheap, and it's accessible. And you were... I, in the old days, if you wanted to record your sessions, you had to fork over $400 or something for Camtasia. I think I saw one of my buddies is using a $30 program, and it looks just fine. Somebody else was showing me you don't even need a program anymore. You, can, you don't even need to pay for it anymore. You can use open broadcasting, whatever the thing the Twitch streamers use that records it. It's free. It's free. You record it. You take the audio. Put it up on your big screen. If you're, I'm not into adult beverages, but if you're into adult beverages, go grab them. Or if you're a coffee man like me, go get some coffee, get a notepad, and find out where you're stumbling. How much game film do you think Kobe watched in his life? How much game film do you think Messi's watched in his life? And how much have you watched of your game? And you're telling me you want to be the best. That's the thing that bugs me. Okay, I never, ever tell you guys I want to be the best, and I work harder than all of you. You guys tell me you want to be the best, and you're not doing anything, and that bugs me. That really bugs me. The, 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 that reminds me of when you're at a cocktail party, and I love this crap. I love this guy. You know what? You know, somebody wants to get on me. Oh, you're a poker player. Like, what, what do you do? How much money you got? And I'm like, you know what, man? I wrote a book. That's what I'm really proud of. Oh, you know, I'm thinking of writing a book. Congratulations. You're in a category of absolutely everybody. How are you telling me that? Like, that means something. I want to be the best. That doesn't mean anything. That it, it only, are you a professional poker player? That question cannot be answered in words. It can only be answered in action. In action. And furthermore, what are you putting into your strategy? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an analogy from basketball, and I want you to tell me what your strategy is from poker. When you watch NBA basketball, there's two shots they do, and I'll tell you why they do it. You watch every single team, they all do these shots. You watch the Golden State Warriors, they're the best at these shots. It's the three-pointer and the two-point shot within the key. Really close shots, right? The reason for that. I can't remember the exact proximity, but there's a certain proximity within the basket with a two-point shot where the average NBA basketball player will score, the, will score 50% of the time, average, a, average of one point per possession. The three-point shot, uh, on average, they hit about 36% of the time, right? Obviously, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, a little bit more. Uh, that's, again, average one point. The dribble up, two-point jump shot just within the three-point line, you hit that, uh, I, I think the best in the world, Steph Curry hits that about 45% of the time, right? Everybody else is about a third of the time. So uh, 
whatever it is between there, it's about 0 .8, 0 .8 points. Now you get you don't get a hundred possessions in NBA basketball. You get like ninety possessions. But let's say you get let's say you get a hundred possessions. If you get a hundred possessions and you do the dribble two point shot, your your average is about eighty points. If you do the other two two types of shots, your average is about a hundred points, which will win most NBA basketball games. Those guys know their bread and butter shot. What's your bread and butter shot in poker? And if you can't answer this, I don't know why you think you can make money at cards. Do you think Doyle Brunson ever walked into a game and didn't know what his edge was? And I can, I'll, I'll tell you, this is shameless advertising. Master of the Flop, I, I figured out what the shot is. You can make them make a dribble two-point shot that doesn't score, isn't on average .8 points, it's .1 points, if they score at all. And, like, a lot of you don't even know what that shot is, right? It's, uh, and to be honest with you, it's not even, there's a, there's a hundred of these shots, but you need to know what, what the basic ones are, right? You can think about some of them off the top of your head. People get calling you out of position and whatnot. But if you have not figured out what your shot is, what your bread and butter is, what you're putting in, I don't know what you expect to get out of this game. I just don't. You study, you come up with your shot, you execute, you review the game film, you wake up and you do it again. Maybe in 10 years you have a career. That's, it, 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 it's that hard. And by, by the way, if you get to the 99.99th percentile, that means you're better than you're 1 in 10,000 in poker. Great. You'll have a decent salary. You might make 50K a year. All the money is being in the 99.999th percentile all of it all of it is in there so get get working all right i'm done now barry okay that's a good motivational locker room chat from a sassanato for the weekend for our uh, regular listeners um alex thanks very much for taking the time today how can people get in touch with you for a real dressing down <laughs> uh, if you guys want to work with me privately uh Alex at PokerHeadRush.com. You just write me an email. By the way, if you guys have written me an email this week, I've been just, oof, I, I, it, it just been working on my projects. I need to get off on a deadline and working on, uh, well, like three or four of those. I haven't gotten to my emails the last few days. But normally you'll get, I respond back to all my emails personally. Uh, usually you'll get a response within three days. A lot of the times just within one day. I try to check my email every day during the work week. Uh, if you want to sign up for my newsletter, go to my blog at uh, pokerheadrush.com. It's in the corner, and there you'll get free articles, free videos, uh, free podcasts every single week delivered right to your email inbox where you can get a little bit more of this motivation if you're not feeling on your game. Okay. Alex, we will see you next week. Keep your questions coming in if you want them read out on the show. Questions at oneouter.com and we will get to them on a future episode. Thanks for listening and cheers. Cheers. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, August 13th, and it's bringing to the table a whopping $6.7 million in guarantees over four weeks. It all starts with Moss beginning August 13th, with prize pools hitting the $250,000 guaranteed mark. Then, 
On August 23rd, our full-sized online super series drops with guarantees as high as 1 million. Then stack your chips in the bigger online super series beginning September 6th. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. It's waiting for you at America's Card Room.